just remember looking at everybody walking past with Christmas bags in their hands and presents and just the row of people sitting on the floor that nobody stopped to speak to. And I remember standing there like, I cannot let this go on any longer. I just couldn't go home that day without doing something. This is Cynthia and I want to welcome you to episode 89, our last episode of the year. On behalf of the Assyrian podcast team, thank you. We can't thank you enough for your support throughout the year and for tuning in week in, week out. Thank you also so much to all of our guests. Without our guests, we would not have amazing stories to share with you all. To wrap up the Assyrian podcast for 2019, it seems entirely appropriate to acknowledge that we are heading into the season of Christmas, a time of giving and family. Our guest this week couldn't be more perfect in terms of encapsulating these values. Roseanne Raphael founded Christmas on the Streets in Melbourne in 2016. Christmas on the Streets, or COTS as it's more commonly known, is a not-for-profit organisation aiding those who are homeless or on the verge of homelessness or experiencing poverty. At the age of just 23, Roseanne has taken COTS to new heights. I really hope you enjoy Roseanne's story as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know someone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. I hope you enjoy the episode and have a very Merry Christmas. Roseanne, thank you for coming along and joining me on the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you for having me. So Roseanne, I want to know a bit about your family. So mm-hmm. I know that they've come from overseas, the yeah. refugees to Australia. Can you tell me a bit more about them and your life growing up here in Melbourne? Yeah, so mum and dad are both originally from Iraq, the northern villages, the good old northern villages up in Iraq. Dad migrated to Australia in 1992 and he went over in 94, married mum. Mum got here at the end of 94. They had another wedding here in 95. And then I was born in 1996. So mum and dad are from Iraq. I was born and raised in Melbourne. I have lived in Melbourne my whole life. But I never really thought that that played a big part in who I was. Like mum and dad's background. I was like, well, that's just my culture, my background. And I'm an Australian, Iraqi, Chaldean, Assyrian, whatever you want to call it. Like now, the older I'm getting, the the more I look back on it, I realise that that was the roots of everything that I am today. Like mum and dad's background played a vital role in who I who like what how it shaped me to be as an adult growing up sheltered and naive I thought the whole world was like mum and dad and the more I stepped out into the real world I saw that no it's so different like this is our community we're a little bit unique and just really embraced it like I I continue to embrace it the longer I get I know a lot about mum and dad's struggles struggles that I'll never experience in my life dad was a prisoner of war mum lost her mum at a very young age 12 years old Dad lost his at 18, so they really took on these parental roles at a very young age, almost didn't have the teenage or adult life that I was privileged to have. Took care of their siblings, fled war-torn countries, just things that I'll never experience. I think that's definitely given me a sense of gratitude or that I'm very blessed to have because it's from a real-life experience. And you said you started to realise all that your parents had sacrificed. Do you know when this was? When did this come about? Or was it just a gradual... When I understood what it actually meant to like flee a war 
war-torn country you know you hear that when you're younger you know we ran away from war and it's like okay whatever like you ran away from war but the older you get you're like oh my goodness like you were living under persecution you were living in fear your whole life and I think the more I enjoy enjoyed myself as an 18 year old as a 21 year old you're like oh my goodness mom and dad never got to have this life yeah was stripped away from them and I think that just gave me a sense of gratitude and mum and dad really instilled in me and my siblings don't take anything for granted whether it was school like I remember young yeah. being young you know like complaining about doing homework and mum and dad giving the usual lecture of you're so lucky you get to go to school you can become anything you want in the world mm-hmm. and they just used to empower us so much yeah. and now I know where that was coming from like it's not because they just wanted me to do well in school it's because we never had this opportunity don't yeah. take it for granted while you were in high school you recall feeling like you should live life as a missionary which mm-hmm. is really interesting for someone who's in high school What were the earliest signs that you were inclined this way? And do you have any stories of a young Roseanne wanting to be charitable? I, um, again, like thought it was just supernatural to want to be around people. Maybe it's the Assyrian Chaldean in us, but love being hospitable, being in our communities. And it's just the way we've grown up being in this like tribal environment almost. But in high school, I loved Mother Teresa growing up. She was like my superwoman. I just wanted to be exactly like her. I thought she so was not so Britney cool. Spears, but no, it was Mother Teresa for me. Fantastic, yeah. I just thought she was. I just remember seeing photos of her growing up, and I was yeah. like, "Who is this woman? She's so small, but she's so mighty." But I didn't think anything of it. I didn't want to be a nun. I didn't want to. But I just thought, "Wow, I love her." But just doing ordinary things. Before even focusing on Mother Teresa, I was always class captain. I was school captain in primary school and high school. I was just naturally the leader in my group. They used to call me like Mama Rose. Like I'd always have the band-aid in my bag if somebody needed it or the spare pencil. Like yeah. just things like that. Like yeah. looking back now, I'm like, that's probably where it all started. Mm-mm-mm. But um, in high school, yeah, I just, I was like, I, I really love this whole idea of missionary. I didn't even know it was a thing. Like people could go and just help people that were impoverished. Mm. And I think a part of it wasn't because I was so inspired to become a missionary. Mm. It was just because I thought that I couldn't do it here. I said it before, I grew up so naive and sheltered. I was like, oh, well, there aren't really poor people here. Mm -mm. If I want to help people, I've got to go to Iraq or Africa or whatever. And so instantly I was like, oh, missionary. Like that's just sort of how it came to be. But um, yeah, she was like my superhero. I just, yeah, loved helping people. Yeah, whether that came from us being Christians and being inclined to help, I'm not too sure. But yeah, yeah it was just something innate by the sounds yeah, of things as well. Yeah. Just to follow on from that, a missionary life isn't glamorous by any means. <laughs> no bells and whistles and glitter. What about the type of life attracted you to it? I think I love, I've always loved rooting for the underdogs. I've loved just seeing people deny the odds. It could be from mum and dad, our oh, refugees don't amount to anything. And just seeing the way they've like transform their lives Mm -hmm. um i love people that don't think they can do it or the world tells them they're not worth it or they Mm -hmm. don't they're not that they won't get anywhere to defy those odds like i've Mm. always rooted for the underdogs and so that's drawn me to it i want to be a part of those stories i want to be around those people and if i can empower them so be it i want them to know people believe in them that's really drawn me to that life and i just love being with the people that society doesn't like I don't know why, I don't know where that came from, but the more I do it, the more I realize that's my place. I think everybody has a vocation, everybody Mm -hmm. has a place, everybody has a community they're drawn to or inclined to serve in Mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to look like a missionary life at all. People can do that in so many different ways, but I've just found my place to be that place. I love the margins. And in terms of you were saying you love to be with the people that people don't like. Yeah. How that's the right terminology. No, no, yeah. no. I get where you're, where you're coming from with that. But how, in terms of feedback that you might get from other people, like yeah. how, do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, there's um the good, obviously, people that are like, oh, the work you do is amazing. And then yeah. whether it's from, you know, my parents at the start were like, 
obviously every parent's gonna be worried about their daughter that goes out onto the streets to help the homeless, you know, that's so natural. And for them, it was more of a worry thing, not like, oh, don't do this. It was yeah. like, oh, be careful, you know, we care for like you, you're parent. so young. Yep. Yeah, yep. of course, yep. and especially in a Syrian parent. But for them, it was when they saw it, mum and dad would come out on street runs with us. They would yep. come and speak to the homeless with me. They would be there at my events and stuff like that. And they just saw, they were just like, this is your place, you fit in so yep. naturally people respect you um, mm. and we can see the change in these people and they came and they loved it and they're like we get it we mm. get it now you're not a crazy little kid that just wants to go on the streets with the homeless you're you've got a mission here and you're you're doing that and it's, yeah. it just shifted from we worry for you to how can we support you and um you know there are other people like oh these people don't deserve it they did it to themselves people that aren't emotionally attached to me that don't really have that worry mm -hmm. aspect but more that what are you doing you're wasting your time aspect again for them it's if they see it for themselves that stigma breaks straight away and I've just come to accept that not everybody's going to ever understand what I do yeah. and I just had to I looked at my vision I looked at my goal and I'm like none of them is please others none of them is be accepted or understood by others my mission is so much bigger and so much more different to that yeah why and my, because my mission is so big and complex why waste time worrying about yeah. can i just say that's just such a valuable regardless of what you're doing so long as you're doing something that lights your fire that's it that's the, the best message that's it yeah, yeah. you know yeah. like find your purpose and your yeah. goal and whatever and go for it yeah. because if we don't if we forever wait around for the perfect time or everybody's approval none of us are going to get anywhere mm. that becomes your goal pleasing others and that's just a goal that's never going to be you fulfilled blinkers. really yeah exactly right and yeah. as if you'd want to be old and be like oh my, i spent my whole life trying to please others and mm. i did nothing mm. for the world or for myself no way i just I couldn't do that yeah just sticking really straight on to that goal and mission. well we're glad you can't sit back and not do anything in people <laughs> place because if you did you wouldn't have found christmas on the streets which is also known as cots a yep. not-for-profit organization that is aiding those who are homeless on the verge of homelessness or experiencing poverty can you tell me how cots came about so i never in my life wanted to start a charity i might have wanted to do mission and stuff but i never wanted to start a charity didn't think i'd be the founder of a charity not even homelessness i didn't think that was going to be the area that would be my life that would turn into my life but yeah so the missionary thing in high school this is how it all started i told mom i was like i'm gonna to go to india or africa or somewhere i need to do something after year 12 and she's like you know just finish school first and then worry about it there's no way whatever um, and i understand i was like 15 at the time what's that mean yeah. 16. So then for my 17th birthday, I remember I was just like, God, I know you've planted this seed in my heart and I, I want to do it and I know I'm going to do it, but when's the right time? And I'm just so impatient. Like maybe I was a kid, but I was like, I want to do something right now. I can't sit around and wait anymore. It's like exactly what you said before about the fire in your heart. It wasn't just this, oh, like a goal I had. Like I, yeah. It was burning full in blown. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was blown. full blown. Yeah. And I remember I saw on Twitter, I think it was, I can't even remember what I was doing when I was 16, a charity called My Charity Water. And pretty much people would donate uh, milestones in their life. And yep. instead of celebrating them with a party, they'd set up an online campaign and people could donate money on that. And that's what you would celebrate. And they would build water wells in third world countries for communities that had children dying before the age of five because they didn't have access mm. to clean water. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, the water in my toilets is clean. I'm going to build water wells for children. And I was like, this is going to be the perfect excuse for me to go after you 12. Mm. So I donated my 17th birthday, told everybody I'm not having a birthday party. Everybody used the money. Look, there's not many 17-year-olds that do that. So. <laughs> um, but I was like, it's I'm amazing. not going to wait around. So yeah, and yeah. it just fell up my lap. So I'm like, I'm going to do it. It was easy, convenient. All the money that people were going to use for presents or a party, I got them to donate to this campaign. Yep. So 17th birthday, we built a water well in Cambodia. 
my 18th we built one in Ethiopia and my 19th we built one in Mozambique so this is all before Christmas on the streets mm-hmm. and I was like amazing I'm gonna go visit these water wells mm-hmm. maybe I'll find my missionary life there mm-hmm. that didn't happen and by the time I had I was waiting for that last water well to be built in Mozambique I had started uni mm-hmm. so after year 12 I started um, uni and I was spending more time in the city you know I wasn't in Craigieburn anymore I wasn't in our privileged sort of sheltered life um, mm-hmm. in in the area but I started going to the city and it was the first time my eyes were open to homelessness. Yeah. So it's more just for um, people like around the world. It's like a downtown, yeah. the downtown yeah, area. the downtown. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to the suburbs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. our yeah. downtown city area. And I would just see people everywhere sitting mm. with cardboard signs. And I was like, what on earth is this? And I just remember thinking, who's helping them? Mm. Or I just remember how are people walking past them? But yeah. at the same time, it was um, shadowed by what on earth somebody like me going to do? Like I'm a 19-year-old girl. What am I going to do? And if nobody in the 2,000 years before me has fixed it, how mm. on earth am I going to fix it? Mm. And so I had no experience with doing anything for the homeless and I had one social justice outreach excursion in school three years before this mm. and it was just plating up meals. I had no other experience on the streets. And so I used to get together with a group of friends and we'd go to like a shopping center. We'd just go to all these I don't know, for Americans, Walmart or something yeah. similar to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And we'd make snack bags. Mm. We'd put a sandwich, a juice box, a muesli bar, and we'd walk the streets and we use these snack bags as icebreakers. Mm. So we'd go around just to break conversation. People and I, you know, we'd say, oh, um, we were just eating. Um, we've got a spare snack bag. Mm. You had a meal today, sir. Oh, hi, ma'am. Have you eaten today? It's really hot. Do you want a water bottle? And what we found about eight months a year of doing this they didn't really care about the snacks they would get so excited when they saw us in because they were like these are the guys that are going to stop and speak to us yeah and the conversations were what they longed for and so that grew and i was like oh my goodness we were noticing ourselves going out of our way to find this guy like, oh he's troy in his spot he's tom in his spot they would call us out by our names like rose it's good to see you or rose mm. how's uni going or what and these relationships were awesome. being formed yeah and then they were no longer the homeless they were just Tom. And so Christmas time, this is how Cots was born. December 2016, I was standing at Burke Street outside the Maya and David Jones Christmas window. Just remember looking at everybody walking past with Christmas bags in their hands and presents and just the row of people sitting on the floor that nobody stopped to speak to. And I remember standing there like, I cannot let this go on any longer. I just couldn't go home that day without doing something. And so impulsive, impatient Roseanne went to the first person I saw that day and I said to him, sir, if I could get you any Christmas present this year, what would it be? And as soon as I said it, I thought, you're going to be like the Grinch who stole Christmas. He's going to ask for something. What on earth are you going to do about it? Go get it. To my surprise, he said, look at my shoes. They have holes in them. My dream Christmas present would be shoes. And I just wrote it down on the iPhone, like my iPhone notes. And I asked for his size, asked where he would be in the next couple of weeks. And I went to the next person and the next person. I spent the whole afternoon getting Christmas, dream Christmas presents. I just said the same question to everybody. Some said, oh, I can't think of anything. I've never opened a Christmas present or it brings back traumatic memories. Some people said, um, you know, a music player. I haven't listened to my own music in so long. A lot of like shoes, clothes. This one man said to me, I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he said, my dream Christmas present would be a bouquet of flowers for my missus because I've never been able to get her a fresh bouquet of flowers. And so I wrote them all down and I went home and I was like, this was a couple of weeks after my 20th birthday, two weeks after my 20th birthday. And I said, what am I going to do with these presents? So I created a Facebook event and I called it Christmas on the streets. I posted the presents and I invited as many people as I could. And I said, can anybody help me get these presents? Let's go out the weekend before Christmas and give them to the homeless. That's all I did. I thought, I'm going to get my cousins, I'm going to get some friends, my siblings, and we'll go do it. 
We had almost 100 people show up to the city that day. Wow. I had a friend of mine open his jiu-jitsu gym. Me and us from the Australian Elite team, he opened the gym for us and we used it to pack the presents the night before. And on the 18th of December, 2016, we went to the city with trolleys full of presents and we spent the whole afternoon handing out Christmas presents. And I thought, this is amazing. Two things are going to happen. Either God's going to send me to India now. I've done my mission in Melbourne. Or I might do this every Christmas. Mm. I said it was really successful. I'll do it every Christmas. And... January, February came about and people were messaging me. I've just cleaned out my closet. Will you take my clothes? What's your charity called? Can I come out with you again? I went to the city and I saw this guy. He really wants us to go visit him again. Mm. And I was like, what on earth's going on? Didn't think anything of it until somebody said to me, Rose, maybe this is what you're called to do. You know, you've wanted to do something for so long. Take this and run with it. And so I did. I kept the name Christmas on the streets. I couldn't think of any other name. It abbreviated nicely into COTS. I hope we spread the joy of Christmas every day of the year that we run now. And the rest is history. We run two annual programs. We have outreach every weekend called Street Runs, an indoor winter event in July, our Christmas event. We do the Christmas presents every year. I do school talks about four to five times a month. Amazing. Um, speak at organizations. I'm just about to launch our team in Sydney and Brisbane. Wow. Um, yeah, going over to Perth to do a talk. We've had Amazing. volunteers yeah. fly down to be a part of it. People yep. from New York have shown interest. It's incredible. The way the movement's been blessed is all from, you know, a one-time trip in Berg Street. And asking yeah. one person a question. That's all. And oh, that's how COTS was born and that's my life now. Yeah, so. Fantastic. Yeah. And you were t- talking a bit about the outreach programs that happen every week. Yeah, now it's what every week. What happens with that? So we started doing it about once a month. Yep. Um, and we called them street runs. And pretty much we get a group of volunteers together. We have everything we're going to distribute that day set up, whether that's sleeping bags, clothes, snack bags, sanitary items. Um, what other essentials do we give out? New shoes, blankets, whatever it might be. And then we alter it during the seasons. Like in winter, we give out thermal sleeping bags. In summer, we make sure we go out with, you know, hats and t-shirts. Yeah. And we pretty much walk the streets. A whole group of volunteers, we walk the streets and we sit down and we have conversation with people. And anything they need, we provide their instant care and relief that we can provide. Yeah, it was once a month and it was every fortnight. And since June this year, we've had enough support to run it weekly, multiple times a week now. So you are talking to big organisations about getting those products donated for yeah yeah. we've had a few people like um yeah we partner with a lot of charities that get either you know an abundance of sleeping bags shipped to them we help them spread them out during the year we have companies um give us food vouchers and bakeries you know give us bread or like food and things like that so um yeah we've got like companies like as color giving us t-shirts and clothes to give out all year round so that and then the manpower of volunteers wanting to come out and distribute them and spend time with the homeless um, has just sustained us we've never received a grant we don't get any big support we're still growing in that way yeah the goodness of humanity has just brought us to where we are and just in terms of establishing cots this has been yeah. while you've been at university as well yeah so i study full-time i'm a full-time psychology student i work part-time at the local pharmacy and part-time as a prison chaplain and i run cots every other second in between that completely pro bono it's a completely volunteer run charity Yes, I have two part-time jobs, study full-time at uni. I run a youth group on Saturdays for our church. And yeah, I do cots every other second in between that. And I would not take it back for a second. What have been some of the biggest challenges in starting a charity organization? Lots of unique challenges. Um, It's just been the biggest learning experience. It's been a lot of challenges, but um, they've all sort of been like hurdles, like just presented themselves to me because I didn't know anything about it. Like I don't have a business background. I didn't know you had to register a charity as a business. Yeah, had to lean on a lot of 
people that were older and wiser than me and experienced. Yeah, learning the industry, learning the ropes of what it means to run a charity. Yep. Showing up as the youngest person in the room like has always been a challenge. I have done so many talks at like big organizations and when I go there, it's not uncommon for me to hear, oh, has the CEO sent one of his volunteers to come down or like um, whatever, things like that. And, you know, turning around and saying, I am the founder, I am the CEO is always um, fun. Like you always get to see the reaction on their face. So just um, stepping up and staying present as the youngest person in the room. There aren't many, you know, 23 year old CEOs and founders um, in this charity sector, at least. Yeah, things like that. Overcoming people, what you were saying earlier about not understanding what you do, like, oh, there was a lot of people at the start with the whole, oh, she's doing this for attention or mm. um, people only do this because they want recognition. And if you want to feed the homeless, don't post a photo on Facebook. And, uh, you know, when you're 20 years old and you hear that, you you just feel like the world's against you and everybody's mm-hmm. attacking you and nobody likes you. And you, I had to really question my intentions from a young age. And I had to, you know, look at myself and ask myself questions that not a lot of 20 year olds need to ask themselves. Why are you doing this, Rose? Um, what are your goals? What is your purpose? And then, um, but I'm so grateful for all those challenges since. Like it's really shaped yeah. me into the person I am today. And I'm so grateful that it helped me build, you know, resilience and cleared my vision. I'm, I'm really set on this path. And it's just an honor to turn around and say, I do this because I believe in people. And I don't post a photo on Facebook because I want your comment or your like. I couldn't care less about that. I do yeah. it because I want you to see how easy it is to make a difference. And mm-hmm. I want you to see that and walk away with that like I can do what Rose does what she does isn't special at all everybody can do this Mm. that's why I do that and I know that and if you can't see that then I just feel sorry for you and for everybody who does see it it's just become bigger and merrier and I'm so grateful for all of those challenges yeah yeah so the challenges have really shaped oh 100% me and the movement yeah for sure can you tell me Rose who are your biggest supporters when it came to founding and running COPS my family they've been at the front line I was telling you before like we don't have a COTS head office or a headquarters or any of that now so my house became COTS for a long time it looked like the Salvation Army at some point like donations and mum and dad and my siblings have just been at the forefront of dad building shelving and like mum preparing stuff behind the scenes for cots and my siblings helping me pick up donations and my sister's 16 and she packs all of our snack bags every weekend just because I can't do that now you know Mm. and my brothers go out and spread the word for me or help me pick up donations when I'm at a school talk and they've been great Um, a good circle of friends a lot of them are on our charity board um, that just have my back running a charity doesn't look like rainbows and sunshine every day there's a lot of days where you're like this is tough and especially when you're working in a sector like homelessness there are bad stories all the time sad stories all the time heavy things you hear on the streets and you need people to lean on like the the more I move on in this journey I realize how important it is to have those strong pillars around you so yeah yeah, my family a good group of friends and then a lot of just good good people like businesses that just believe in your movement and strangers like my goodness the biggest thing Kotz has shown me is just how good people are. Like there is so much good left in this world. I think it's so easy to think otherwise when you are looking at the media, you know, you work in the media and just, it's just bad news after bad news. Like there's a war here and people are killing people and everybody's dying and climate change or whatever. It's just bad, bad, bad. And to step out and break that, like there are so many good people. There are Mm. so many strangers that do things for cots and for the poor that I'd never be able to thank them for. Mm. And just to be able to step back and say, no, there is still so much goodness. The humans are still good. That's been a big blessing. So yeah, a yeah. lot of good people. Just on the circle you have around you, I mm. want to talk about the volunteers that do yeah. um, work with you and cots. So some of the testimonials are amazing. They include comments such as, it warmed my heart to be a part of something that put a smile on people's faces. People who don't owe anything to us in return. 
And mm. also this life-giving concept is something that can only continue to grow through hard work, through more involvement, through persistence, but moreover, through the realization that before we are anything else, we're all human. Why would you tell someone to volunteer? COTS doesn't exist without the volunteers. They are the foundation of our movement. I can be a CEO and founder and I can create Facebook events and I can show up and book these halls and do this stuff. But if I don't have, you know, if the volunteers aren't there, the movement doesn't exist. There's only so much we can do with one person. But as a movement, as a group, we're invincible. There's so much we can do. And so the reason why I tell somebody to volunteer is because I believe everybody has a gift and there is something beautiful that happens when people mm. come together, different people come together with their unique gifts for the common greater good. At our winter events, our winter events are the perfect example of why somebody should volunteer with COTS because you have a chef who gives up his day off to come and cook for people. And you have barbers who are in some of Melbourne's top barber shops that charge over $85, come down and give their day off to give out over a hundred haircuts. And you have artists come down and paint free portraits. And you have children come and just brighten everybody's day. And you have students come and plate up food. And you have counselors come and give their day off to support people. And you just see all these different people with different gifts come and be the change. I can't do that. I can book the whole scene, but I can't cut hair. And there's something special that happens when somebody comes and does that. And some people might be listening and saying, I don't have that gift. I'm not a chef or I'm not a barber. That's, there's no way that's true. The greatest gift we can give is our time. Everybody can offer that. Everybody mm. can offer a kind word. And your way of doing that is different to the person next to you. Mm -hmm. And when we do that together, we change the world for the better. And people say, you know, why do I volunteer? What do you get out of it? I am not a selfless person. I am not, you know, a humble whatever. It's not true at all. I get so much more than I give. I guarantee you, if you volunteer anywhere good, if you volunteer and you give back to this world in a way that you can't get repaid for, you walk away having won. You walk away so much richer. I don't make money from cots. I don't get praise from cots. I don't, I, it's not about that at all. Mm -hmm. But I walk away, oh, with the world. I get, you know, the things I see, the things I hear, I walk away so much richer. And so I encourage everybody to find something they're passionate about and to volunteer. You, it doesn't mean you give up your life, your career to volunteer at all. Yeah. Live your life, you know, wherever you are, make money, have a career. That's all good stuff. But find a place where you can just give back, somewhere where you can just give back with nothing in return. And I promise you, it will change your life. So COTS has blown up exponentially. How do you feel about where you were at since founding COTS in 2016? It gets overwhelming sometimes. Sometimes I don't feel it at all. Like I'm just like, oh, we've only just begun because we are a baby charity. Like we've partnered with charities that are older than I am. Like I've got 30 year old charities reach out to us and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, we're, we're just turning three now. And so it gets overwhelming when you think of how much we've achieved, like when I stop and think about it. But on the day to day, I'm just like, there's more to do. The homelessness crisis is growing. I've got to get around to the whole world. So you don't realize it all the time. But when I stop and think about it, like two days ago, I drove past a billboard outside of school and they had my face on it because I'm doing a guest speaking gig. And I just stopped and thought, this is crazy. How far have we come? It's weird. It's overwhelming. But um, it's such a blessing. A lot of the things we've achieved, I thought we were going to achieve in our 10 year goals, our 20 goals and to have achieved them already it's exciting because i'm like oh where are we going to be in 10 years where my goal is for cots to go redundant in 20 years i hope my face is not on a billboard i hope in 10 years 20 years 
I no longer get to call myself a CEO of COTS because when COTS ceases to exist, we've achieved our mission. It's a very bittersweet paradox. In a business, you want to grow and succeed, stick around for as long as you can. Whereas with us, constantly reminding ourselves that when we no longer need to go out on a street run, that's a good thing, you know? You want to serve your purpose and... And wrap it up. Yeah, Yeah, that's my goal. (laughs) And I know that we spoke about earlier that COTS is expanding across to Brisbane and Sydney. How did that come about? What's your role in that? In 2017, we had our first winter event and we had some people fly down. So we had that wanted to just get involved. They just wanted to help out. And we had people come down from the Gold Coast, from Sydney and from New Zealand. And I would just ask them, what's the homelessness crisis like in your backyard? You know, what's happening there? Who's tackling homelessness there? And they were just like, oh, we don't really have a lot of grassroots stuff. There are those big, you know, services and corporate world homelessness, whatever. Yeah. But there isn't really anything we can help out with. Um, it's not as easy as COTS is. Like people just have to DM me the week before a street run and say they can come out and mm. they do. Whereas the the norm for volunteering is like fill in this paperwork and get on our waiting yep, list and yep. buy our t-shirt. And they just realized how easy it was. Mm. And so as soon as I heard of that interest, I was like, oh, well, there's potential. Unfortunately, it's sad, but there's potential for COTS to go global. And that's when I realized there's a need for this everywhere. And so I had to, you know, start planning for that. And I went over to Sydney and did a couple of street runs. And the need was, if anything, far greater than Melbourne's. And I asked around, like, I didn't want to branch. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to go and be the world's biggest organization. I was just like, hi, is there something like this here? And if it's not, I've got to address it. I'm not going to be able to walk away from this. And the more we're growing now with media attention and stuff, we just have so many people emailing us. Um, And so I was like, all right, the next two steps will be Sydney and Brisbane. Take care of those areas and then we'll see where we go. Recently got in some interest from Perth, New Zealand, definitely. And then I've got a lot of people from like New York, Detroit, reaching out to us. And I've got some volunteers that have um, come down and traveled to Melbourne and have actually joined us on street runs. And I've gone back and implemented it in their cities. And that's been incredible. I've got a couple of people in Detroit that now make snack bags and go out i've got a friend in new york just waiting for us to go over there so yeah the potential's there but the next step is going global not just australia it's going global yeah and that's another thing i thought you know 10 20 years but yeah in the definitely in the in the near future i can see that happening which is exciting great what do you believe has led to the success of cops keeping it true to why we started i think Along the way, there was a lot of influence that just comes with growing. Anything that grows, any business, any venture, any career, you get a lot of influence from whether it's your success or the potential to grow exponentially or um, media or whatever it might. Every time that came about, you know, I just had to really pull it back down to the grassroots levels because we could have blown up and gone corporate straight away and I could have put cots under a banner of another big charity and i just had to stay so true to its vision we were just a bunch of young kids that just wanted to make a difference and just keeping it at that always reminding myself that before you do anything big you're taking care of the people on the streets because every night that i go to sleep i know there are people sleeping on concrete and sleeping bags and my priority is not how much media i get and where my office is or how much money we turned over it's Is he going to sleep with a warm blanket? Is he having a meal to eat? Is she having access to her professional health services? And making sure that was at the forefront has really grounded me. Don't get too ahead of yourself. There's the problem still there. Because I can just turn around and say, oh, I fed 2,000 people. Congrats to me. But I can look at it and say, Rose, you've got a lot of work to do. And that forever grounds me. Um, So that one's really, that's really 
contributed to our success I believe and just being very transparent with the movement it's very unfortunate that a lot of people don't have a good rapport with charities have either had a distasteful experience with either people that aren't as honest or aren't as transparent we really wanted to combat that every what you see is what you get with us if you give me your pink blanket you know your pink blanket's going out on the streets if you give me this food voucher you know where it's going if you come and volunteer you know you're gonna walk away with a good positive experience so yeah staying true to your vision and i and i give that as a piece of advice to anybody that says oh how can i become successful or how can i do this Mm. and a lot of people like you know just volunteer with me or no we're already doing this or whatever and that that's a load of crap the world needs as much help as we can give it so i encourage everybody that's just even doubting themselves or having second thoughts about oh is there anything i can do do it the world needs it the world needs you the world needs your gift it needs your talent and when you embark on that journey just stay true stay true to what you're doing in terms of i want to talk to you about you do a lot of stuff with schools and young mm. students what's the main message that you give to them exactly that like that's what find i thought your as, as soon as you spoke about that it really resonate with yeah i remember being in school having guest speakers come and they were talking about talk about the wonderful things they do and i remember being a 12 year old like oh that's amazing but how on earth am i going to do that you're just like oh that was really nice to hear but where's the practical how is that practical in my life Mm. right now as a primary school student or a high school student and when i did start doing these workshops in schools i had to shape what my program was going to be like and i never thought we'd be running educational workshops and now that's one of the biggest programs we run my Mm. school talks it's always that it's always kids you've got gifts don't wait until you're a ceo don't wait until you're 35 don't wait until your salary looks like this don't wait until you go to india do it now start in your schoolyard help the kid that's sitting in the playground by himself speak with the girl that doesn't have any friends and play your footy games and run sausage sizzles for the sick kids in hospital and just really encourage them to utilize their gifts from a young age i think if they can start doing that then we've got a future of change makers and so that's the main message i give and that applies to the young and old it's just the context you put it in but yeah the school workshops are amazing we do a lot of staff formation days and just telling the staff and the staff always come back with good feedback oh that that kid's donating his artwork or whatever like things like that and that's beautiful speaking of young people it doesn't come as a surprise at all that you were recently recognized as Victorian Young Australian of the Year. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. One of the yeah, four final nominees, which was exciting. A how, huge honor. How do you feel about it? Yeah, there was a huge honor. I remember starting cuts and people saying, oh, you know, one day you'll be Australian of the Year. And I was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. People get that on their 50th year anniversary. I had no idea. I was nominated by surprise, anonymous nomination. Mm. And they called me, uh, they called all the top 20. And so they called me and I remember this guy from the government, he was like, hi, I'm just calling Rose to say congratulations. And I was like, congratulations for what? And he's like, yo, um, Young Australian of the Year. And I'm like, what? I had no idea I was nominated. And he said, out of the 8,000 nominees, we call the top 20 and congratulate them. And wow. then the top four come to Governor House for a dinner. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, didn't think I was going to hear back from him. And then, yeah, lo and behold, four weeks later, he called me and he's like, um, you're one of the top four nominees. Please come to the Governor House dinner. The Governor wants to thank you and give you an award. So that was beautiful. I mean, biggest success is every time I hear somebody's no longer sleeping on the streets and somebody's reconnected to their family. That's my favorite award. There's no Australian of the Year or medallion or whatever that could compare to that. But just seeing people recognize the work and want to support it is a big honor, of course. I'm very, very grateful. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to wrap this up with talking a bit about more about your experience in charitable work. And this time I want to flip the uh, coin, I guess, and want to hear about someone who actually has ended up helping you that you were trying to help out as well. There are so many good people hearing people say, you changed my life. I don't think you understand 
the extent of those words until somebody says it to you they actually mean it I, there was like a person who see, I was really down on my luck I never thought I could make a difference and you've just really changed my life and that changes my life mm. because it's very easy and to feel lonely when you're doing something like cod it's like what you were saying before like, oh 17 year old like Britney Spears not Mother Teresa or whatever mm. 23 year olds are out doing you know whole partying with their friends or mm. going on holidays and they're not starting a charity and so it's easy to feel lonely when like your career partners are like 80 year olds it can feel lonely so just hearing people say that stuff has really helped me in the sense of believing in myself anyone that's ever supported me or backed me or told me i've reminded them of something good in themselves when i hear any of the inmates i've helped in prison get out and say to me Rose, you reminded me that my kids are worth it and that I, I'm not a this or that. That changes me forever. That really reminds me of why I do what I do. And I get so much more of that than criticism. And so I can't, even if I wanted to, I can't focus on the criticism. If When you have people who the world perceives as nothing and people who the world perceives even more so like dangerous or dirty or, or don't go near them or you're worthless or you're the worst of the worst and you did this to yourself and you're a bum... For them to cry when they're talking to me and say, nobody's ever said I'm a father first or I'm a good friend. Some of the big bad cartel people, ex-cartel people or like homeless homeless men that have done very bad things that they regret in their life. When I tell them that you're bigger than your mistake and they ask me to repeat that. I had a man a while ago said to me, Rose, can you say that again? And that, that helps me. How can I not persevere on this journey when I have that? He said, can you say that again? And I said, you're bigger than your mistakes. You know, you're bigger than these tattoos and you're bigger than these things that you regret. You're, you know, you're a man with a big heart. And I know that because I've seen you help this person and this person. And having cry and say, nobody in my life has told me that that before. And Nobody's told me they've cared for me. That, they helped me. Or having one of our ex-home people that were once on the streets come out and do street runs with us. We have our men who were once homeless come and do the volunteer stuff with us. And that's incredible. People that, I, that I'm so privileged to help, mm. help me so much. It's a very mutual relationship. And I really like being able to remind them that they do a lot for me too because it just empowers them. And it's very, very special. It's a very unique role. I know I have a very unique career or path and i just every day i'm grateful that this is my life is it too soon to wish you a merry christmas <laughs> no every yeah cots christmas i'm always dealing with christmas All stuff the best so. for the christmas season thank you thank you for coming you. on the thank you thank you for podcast. doing what you do it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode and in 2019 We'll be back on January the 6th, 2020, and once again, wish you a very Merry Christmas as well as a Happy New Year.